You're part of Constellation now. Part of our family. I'll follow you from here on out, Captain. We're all here because we're committed to the biggest question of all. What's out there? Grab jump is ready. I love this part. Welcome everyone to the Starfield Sandwich Podcast, a Starfield podcast by fans for fans. I'm one of your hosts, Eric, aka Sulior, and as always, we will hear from Mr. KDB later on, but whoo boy, we had some news lately, didn't we? Um, so <laughs> we're definitely going to get into that. Um, first off, though... I'd just like to take a second to thank everybody for their support uh, for this show, for everybody who's listened to the first couple of episodes, not to mention the little teaser that we put out. Um, You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for uh, everything, all the love that you guys have shown us. And yeah, (laughs) it's been great. So yeah, like I said, there's been a lot of news going on. Um, I'm going to get into some of it. I know... um, Kelsey does cover some of the other uh, bits later on, like the uh, timeline that they did uh, release. Now, I will say that I am kind of glad that they did give us kind of an official timeline on social media. Um, I I wish that they'd kind of done that when Skyrim came out because, I mean, maybe they did, but I I know they released a couple of novels that kind of bridged the gap uh, with the 200 years in between uh, Oblivion and Skyrim, but I didn't really, I mean, it wasn't really easily accessible. Like, these novels weren't, like, at the forefront of everything. So the first time I played Skyrim, I had no idea uh, what was going on when it came to the Civil War, like, the White Gold Concordat, the war with the the Thalmor. I wish I did. Um, so yeah, it's really kind of cool to see a brief overview of the history of the Starfield world. But um, yeah, and a bit later, I'm going to kind of go through uh, the three things that I would like to see with Starfield. Also, uh, <laughs> Starfield is ready to be preloaded, if you haven't already, with con- with uh, Xbox. Um, sorry, PlayStation people. Um, I know you guys are kind of <laughs> upset about that. Uh, hopefully you can play on PC. But uh, yeah, and PC people get to uh, preload their game on the 31st of August. Um, I've already got mine preloaded, y'all. Um, I can't wait uh, i've got some custom wallpapers that i put on my uh, kind of desktop with my xbox uh, thank you to a couple of people for helping me figure out how the hell to do that um it's really cool like I, i've just been sitting there i've tried watching it a few times myself of course it tells me i'm too early whatever um i just i can't wait to get into this game i'm so like the fact that we uh, are able to preload it now, and a lot of my friends have gotten um, review codes, like uh, 
people like Ken from the uh, uh, Chad Fallout 76 podcast, um, Scullyface, uh, Shreds uh, from the El Gato Pub. A lot of my friends are getting these codes. I'm fine with not having one. I don't need that kind of responsibility in my life. I got enough shit going on. Um, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm I'm dying to play this game, but I don't need the responsibility of having to write everything down and submit a review by the 31st. <laughs> I don't need that. Um, but congratulations to all of my friends in the community that have gotten this code. I know there's been a lot of people who are pissed that they haven't gotten one. Um, some big names in the community too. Um, have been ranting on social media like targeting Bethesda for not giving them a code saying I've done all this shit for you and you haven't given me a code I'm like what the hell come on just chill out um, they are also releasing these release codes in waves um, so if you haven't gotten one and you are like really kind of upset that you haven't gotten one your time may come just take a breath it's fine. And if nothing else, just enjoy the game like we all will here pretty soon. Like, it's going to be here before we know it. <laughs> all right, I'm going to get off my Abraxo box here. Um, anyway, other than that, we had a big dev Q&A on Discord. Um, they answered uh, several fan questions, 16 fan questions. I'm not going to go through them all in detail. This episode is going to be long as it is. Um, but I am going to kind of give a brief overview of each of them. Um, I was actually there watching live in the chat. And so the way this was set up was there was a question that was posted. And then both Wilshin and Emil Pagliarulo answer the question in real time um so they <laughs> they did kind of uh, bounce off of something the other person said like i kind of combined everything that one person said into one but they were kind of um, alternating sometimes like somebody would say something and then the other would kind of uh, respond to that even though they've already said something else um and sometimes they would kind of go back and add to a question they've already answered but i did um Combine, like collect everything that was said. Now, Will Shen is the lead quest designer for Starfield, and Emil Pagliarulo is just the general lead designer. So, all right, let's let's go through these, and then after I go through them, I'm going to give the three things that I really want to see uh, in Starfield. So, the first question is: Can you buy houses or property in the major cities? And Will Shen is like, yep. There's housing in different cities that players can get, and sometimes you have to purchase them, and sometimes there are rewards for specific quests. So, basically, things that they've done in previous Bethesda games. Now, I will also uh, say that the last episode that we did of Tapes from the Wastes, um, I sat down with a good friend Jessica Starr, a uh, big name in the Fallout uh, Bethesda fan community, uh, legend. Um, we kind of talked about the history of player housing in uh, Bethesda game. Well, I mean, uh, the history of building and gaming in general. 
but also the history of player houses in Bethesda games specifically, even including like Elder Scrolls. So definitely go check that out. So yeah, um, and then, you know, Emil was like, sure can, you can purchase a dwelling in all the major cities in the game, and there's at least one that you specifically get for completing something. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what uh, types of uh, player houses we get in Starfield and all the different major cities and planets and all that good stuff. I can only imagine the different themes that these player houses will have based on the biomes that they're in. That's going to be really cool. All right, question number two is, if we get the kid stuff trait, will our parents be generated based on our character's look or are their standard parents put in place? Uh, what benefits might there be? So um, I'll, I'll go with Emil first. He said, yes, totally. Just like we did with Fallout 3 with your dad and then Fallout 4 with your son. In Starfield, if you take the kids trait stuff, your parents will be based off of you. No spoilers, but I think fans will really appreciate the actors that we got to play in the, for those roles. And they get so into it. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> there's a little tease there um, for who might be voice acting your parents. I can't wait to see who that is. Um, but yes, um, Will also says our programmers on our new face tech were excited to make a function where they can try and match your custom face and then create two parents so they're based on what your character looks like. Although the specific math involved is a bit beyond me. Um, yeah, I get that. Uh, we also had similar tech in our previous game. So this is really cool. I mean, yeah, not just with like skin tone, things like that, but um, there should be specific facial features that you would think would be familial, like genetic. So we did see that a bit in Fallout 4. Not, not, a, not, not Fallout, I'm thinking of Fallout 3. We did see that a bit with Fallout 3. Um, you know, you're born, you, or you're in the process of being born, and you're designing your character, and your mom says that uh, James looks like you. Um, I think his name was, it was his name was James, right, in Fallout 3. Uh, it's been a while since I played that one, I apologize. Uh, Liam Neeson's character. Um, and then we, we do see it again in Fallout 4 also with Sean where they do take certain characteristics of your uh, character design and incorporate it into how they look. So, but yes, I'm, I'm really uh, curious to see who the voice actor, or the voice actors are for your parents. That's intriguing. All right, so question three. For those of us who have never played a BGS game and will be starting with Starfield, what information should we know that will make the experience more impactful right from the start. Um, how deep should we go into creating our character's backstory before we start playing the game? Um, yeah, I, I do love how, yeah, if you have never played a Bethesda game before, you, you and you're jumping into one that's later on in the series, there are certain things that you kind of, uh, like if you, there's some references that you might not get to things that happened in the past, but usually those things are incorporated into books. Like with Skyrim, there's a book on the Oblivion Crisis or the Warp in the West. Um, so you can kind of get 
a bit of that, but other than that, you can just kind of pick up and play and enjoy the world as it is. You don't really need to role-play a character. Um, and that's kind of what they said. Emil says that we always make games for our fans both old and new, so you can jump in without ever having played a Bethesda title before. But we look at it, or sorry, we, we look to, or we like to look at it less as a playing as playing a game, but more like living in a universe that we created. That right there is what I love about Bethesda games. It's a game that you really feel that you can live in. It's not so much role-playing, or I mean, yes, it is kind of role-playing, but it's not so much, quote-unquote, playing a game to just play the game. Like, it, it, talking about gameplay, it's a world that you experience. And so, yeah, you, you can role-play. Um, that's kind of why, with your characters, you don't really know a ton about your character's backstory. Um, that's one of the things that they people kind of complained about with Fallout 4 is your character was a little bit more fleshed out. Like, you know that um, there's a military background there, and your character is voiced. Um, that's one thing that people really complain. I didn't mind any of that so much. Um, honestly, I kind of forgot about the military background uh, with Fallout 4, but it does kind of make sense. And, um, yeah, I just... that This is why I love Bethesda games. Um, uh, Emil also brings up uh, his character that he made named Mitch Dombrowski. <laughs> Called him a schlub. Um, he's a husky, good-natured space trekker, and he'll do whatever he needs to defend himself. He'll, he'll never shoot first, unlike Han Solo. Um, <laughs> oof. Yeah, that, that might get him some heat with... Uh, Star Wars fans. Um, Will also says that uh, while we do start you off at the same spot, what happened to you before the game is totally up to you and it's your head cannon. So there is a trait background system that lets you specify more, but you can also select anonymous. So that's cool. All right, question four. I'm kind of taking a while with these because <laughs> I'm keep uh, elaborating, putting in my own thoughts into this. But that's why you come here, right? Um, question four. How will you... Uh, how will the smuggling cargo system work? Can we hide it somewhere on the ship and sell it for more currency later? Um, will says that there are certain items that are considered contraband and you'll need to smuggle them past security. Um, and that there, this, the security is usually in orbit around major systems. Emil says there are specific items that are considered contraband, meaning they're pretty much illegal everywhere. And yes, you can hide them in special ship modules that you can purchase. Um, so, you know, don't get caught with those harvested organs. Um, the economy is fixed, but prices of bought and sold goods can change based on the skills you choose. So there are, it sounds like there are, um, skill perks that you can choose that can kind of help you, uh, smuggle things. That sounds kind of cool. Um, question five, will there be a jail system if we commit crimes? And Will says, yes, you can either elect to pay the fine or go to jail uh, when you're arrested. Sounds like oblivion. <laughs> you can either pay the fine or pay the price. Um, and Emil, uh, yeah, and he, uh, Will also says, uh, you can even resist arrest and try to escape. Then pay with your blood. Um, Emil says, yep, 
The skill system's more like Skyrim than Fallout 4's Commonwealth in that regard, you bunch of criminals. There's a civilization, there's government, and there are laws. And in a couple of cases, we actually explore the themes of crime and punishment in our futuristic universe. Interesting. Question six. Will time pass when not in the game? For example, will my trade routes, outposts, and mining operations continue to produce, or does that only occur when actively playing? Um, I'll be completely honest. This question, I didn't really understand why they included this question. Um, it seems like kind of a no-brainer. Because, I mean, this is a, a single-player game and not an MMO. I mean, yeah, it makes sense with an MMO or a life-of-service game that time would keep going when you're not there. Particularly, yeah, again, with an MMO. This isn't an MMO. This is a single-player game. So why would time continue to um, happen? Why would, it, why would it continue if the system is turned off? I don't know. Um, but regardless, they did answer this question and said that the time only runs when you're actively playing no sleeping on the job folks um yeah it, with there only being 16 questions that they ask i was kind of wondering why they included this one i guess maybe it's just for people who've never really played uh, a single player game like this and only play games like i don't know fortnite or uh, you know, some MOBA or Battle Royale. I don't know. Um, just seemed odd to me. So, question number seven. Can you be a double agent in the game? For example, if you join the United Colonies, can you also join the Crimson Fleet and give the United Colonies information? And what factions will have this feature if they do? Um, this, is a, this is a great question. I will say that I do enjoy this one. And Will says, all of the playable factions can be completed independently. Crimson, the Crimson Fleet story does feature you being an undercover agent inside the fleet on behalf of the United Colonies System Defense, um, which is a specific branch of the United Colonies. But whether you betray the fleet or uh, the UC SysDef is a choice that you will get to make. That's kind of interesting because a lot of the times with these games, you can play both until you get to a certain point and then you have to make a hard choice uh, there's a threshold that you, you get to where you have to pick one specifically so think fallout 4 if you're playing railroad brotherhood of steel and uh, the institute there is a certain threshold to where you have to make a choice but from what it sounds like you can actually complete all of them so that's really interesting. And Emil says, <laughs> you can, this is exactly what you can do. Infiltrate the Crimson Fleet or the UC SysDev. It's specific to that quest line. In the studio, he's been half-jokingly uh, accused of referencing movies that, in, that some folks have never seen because he's that old. Um, <laughs> so how far will we go with it? That, uh, the choice is up to us. Alright, question 8, so we're about halfway through here. Depending on traits selected during the character creation, will it be possible to play through a pacifist mode? So you don't kill anyone or anything, potentially. Um, and it sounds like that's not really the case. Um, Will says he can't guarantee that every mission can be completed in pacifist mode, but um, he does have a couple of systems that will help. They do have a couple of systems that will help. 
Um, one is the speech checks. So yeah, apparently you can talk your way out of fighting. Um, pretty pretty common in these sort of games. Uh, charisma, gotta make sure that charisma levels up, folks. And um, Emil says that they talked about this very early on during pre-production um, to whether or not they would incorporate a completely non-lethal playthrough. But they did realize that that wasn't totally feasible. So, all right. Sorry for folks who don't want to kill anything. Looks like you got you got to at some point. All right, question nine. What beliefs and uh, basic history of the religions can we join? Um, for example, the Sanctum, Universum, Enlightened, and Great Serpent. So, uh, Will says that the Sanctum Universe is only a couple of decades old in this timeline, but has gained prominence, a lot of prominence. And they believe that God is out there somewhere in the universe and that it's uh, the human humanity's ability to travel the stars that brings them closer to God. That is interesting. Um, and I can, I can see that sort of thing actually being a reality at some point. Um, gotta get closer, you know, to, closer to the heavens. Um, that they believe that life is something every person should take responsibility for. And if that we want the world to be a better place, it's up to us to do it. Um, I kind of agree with that. Um, so Emil says, uh, existing IRL religions are part of the Starfield universe um, with folks of all religions and denominations out there, but they don't really focus on them. Instead, that they, they highlight the three new ones that are specific to the game. So we talked about the Sanctum Universum. Oh, I'm sorry. We talked about the Enlightened. enlightened. Um, the Sanctum Universum are sometimes called universals and that they believe that God very much exists everywhere or somewhere in the universe, um, that a higher power is guiding us all. Um, specifically, they believe that it's humanity's ability to travel the universe and grab jump is God's way of saying, I'm out there, come find me. That's interesting. So we talked a little bit about the enlightened. Um, they're essentially organized atheists, and they don't believe they don't believe in any kind of higher power. Um, and rather, they take they teach that it's human beings. They have the ability to take care of each other. Um, so yeah, basically what I said before. But uh, let's talk about the great serpent here. Um, so uh, the great serpent is a celestial inner entity. Um, and he there's a person out there that claims that he spent time communing with a um, this uh, entity. And um, what was uh, a few seconds ago, everyone was uh, <laughs> chilling from. Um, so basically, yeah, you got to get on board with uh, what the Great Serpent teaches or be devoured. Um, he's encircling the universe. So. What is it with Bethesda and snakes? Um, or reptiles in general, like, tunnel snakes rule. Um, this like, looks like it's taking that to the nth degree. Um, so there's a giant snake uh, that could very easily devour the universe. Um, I laugh, but eh, crazier beliefs are out there. All right, question 10. How many companions in uh, total will we be able to recruit? And the answer is there are over 20 named characters who can join our crew, and I can't wait to meet all of them. Seems to be a lot more than in this game. I guess it makes sense. Um, and, you know, the more the merrier, even if they some of them may annoy the shit out of us. But, yeah, I can't wait to get out there and meet every single one of them. 
All right, question 11. When we assign crew members to work outposts, do we have to pay them salaries? Now, this isn't something I really thought of, but it would make sense, you know, the longer you keep somebody on, the more, you know, you'd have to continually pay them um, rather than just one lump sum because, you know, bills exist, whether you're in uh, a normal society or you're out there traveling space, you know, people could go and pick up other jobs. Um, they could leave your crew, you would think, but I mean, that may not be the case here, but um, from what they said, you just pay them a lump sum. So Emil actually says that they experimented with paying salaries, but ultimately decided to just have one upfront cost. So uh, question 12 here. Will our companions be able to level up on their perks? Will perks stack with ours? And Will says all crews start with a set perk, a set of perks and specific ranks. There's a lot of S's there. Um, you might meet a character that's especially good at rifles and when you hire them to watch your back. Or you might meet up with an astrodynamics expert that will increase your grav jump range. I didn't even think about that uh, when assigned to your ship. So there are perks that actually go along with your ships. That, yeah, okay. I mean, I guess that makes sense, right? I mean, I guess I'm just so used to games where you're on foot or on a horse or something. Um, but yeah, that, that makes total sense. Um, Emil says, they don't level up, but they come at different ranks depending on the companion. Well, we call them skills in Starfield. They don't stack with yours when relevant. Or I'm sorry, they do stack with yours when relevant. Alright, so question 13. What are your favorite parts of the game? And Emil says, shipping it. <laughs> yeah, he, he just, he loves seeing our reactions to their hard work. Um, and I, I totally get that. It, you know, as a uh, content creator, you just, you, you kind of thrive on that uh, response. Um, so, yeah, that, that <laughs> I, I totally get that. Um, so he, they put so much time and effort into this game. And they can't wait to see what we say. I mean, that's why they've sent out all these review codes, right? Um, and from what I understand, um, we don't really talk spoilers here. There are, we do acknowledge that spoilers are out there. People have been leaking things. And if you're one of those, stop it. Um, but anyway, from, I've seen some people generally say they put like 15, 20 hours into the game and they haven't seen a single bug. So, I mean, Bethesda's kind of known for their bugs. I mean, some of them are pretty funny. Um, I will say, even with, uh, Kelsey mentions Cyberpunk later. Um, with, with Cyberpunk, that was kind of known for being a, a really buggy launch. And I never really experienced any that were game-breaking. I did experience a couple that were really funny. Um, and if you, you want to know what some of those are, just ask me. Um, this episode's going to go on long enough. I don't really need to get into my cyberpunk um, experience. But um, Kelsey also kind of says that he expects, like, he just, he thinks this is going to be a, a all like a, a legendary game. I, I kind of agree. I, I can totally see that too. They put, they put so many years into this game and Bethesda know their reputation. Uh, they, they know 
what that people that like the Bethesda bugs they're, they're in everything right it's kind of become a running joke and there have been like they they know what has happened with Fallout 76 and you know Fallout 4 people still say that that's kind of a, a, you know not a good game I think that the people who are still bashing Fallout 4 and Fallout 76 are insane they're both fantastic games um, each in their own way and if you're still saying that all these years later you probably haven't played it recently now I have had some frustrations with Fallout 4 uh, with uh, playing on um, uh, con like an Xbox um, with crashing in downtown Boston that's supposedly being fixed um, nonetheless I love Fallout 4 uh, and Fallout 76 so Bethesda are trying to avoid repeating uh, what has happened before with Rocky launches. Um, even New Vegas, which is, you know, <laughs> jokingly, it's becoming a running joke, or it is a running joke, that, uh, of course, people say that New Vegas is the best Fallout game. New Vegas had a horrendous launch, if you remember. Um, people don't talk about that these days. They've moved past that. But, you know, and I also, uh, in my opinion, uh, like, I love New Vegas. It's not my favorite one, um, even though it was my first. It, it's not my favorite Fallout these days. But, um, yeah, back to the question. Emil says that um, he, he uh, loves getting the game out there. That's one of his favorite parts. But he also says um, he loves seeing how... Um, <laughs> you know just how people play like he loves all the colors in the game too like he he has a really soft spot um for neon and uh, getting that city nailed down took a lot of work by a lot of different people uh but it has a cyberpunk feel to it uh, speaking of cyberpunk so he thinks it's one of the best uh designs that they've ever done um also the quest lines he says that he thinks that the quest lines are some of the best that they've ever done, which says a lot. Um, there's so many memorable quest lines in all of their games. Um, and you know me, I'm a sucker for story and uh, lore. I wouldn't be doing these podcasts without them. So I can't wait to see what these quest lines are. Um, Will says that he loves finding content uh, that he hasn't seen yet or forgotten about. Um, their games are so big that no one person is likely to have seen it all. That's definitely true. Um, there's still people who haven't ever finished the main quest of Skyrim or Fallout 4. Um, but the quests, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the quests really evolve over development, and it's great to see um, how everyone adds to them. So, um, yeah. Definitely looking forward to experiencing this. Uh, question 14. What books or movies are a big influence on some of the quests? Uh, this is interesting as well. Uh, Will says he's a hardcore history nerd, so um, he listens to a lot of podcasts like Hardcore History and uh, History of Rome. Uh, he says while the game is science fiction, he loves how historians can tell you about how human beings react to extreme circumstances uh, like war, famine, and technological breakthroughs. And you can imagine how he'd react in similar circumstances in a fictional setting like this. Um, Emil says he's a child of the late 70s, early 80s. 
and uh, he has a, a very fun memory of uh, that time. So Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Space 1999, Buck Rogers, uh, Battle Beyond Stars, Ice Pirates, and let's not forget Metal Storm, the destruction of the Giarch, uh, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, he thinks he actually saw that in 3D, but he also uh, thinks of stuff like Arthur C. Clarke, Roger Heinlein, uh, Heinlein, and films like Contact, Interstellar, um, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and even Event Horizon. Uh, definitely a lot of great stuff there to, to draw from. Um, in all of those examples, you realize that space is two things. A source of mystery, wonder, and terror, and also a giant bank, I'm sorry, a giant blank uh, page on which you can write any story. That is definitely true. So, that, it's the final frontier, y'all. I mean, there's a reason why it's so intriguing, is because there's just a lot we don't know about it. Um, so we can kind of write our own story. And um, definitely can't wait to do that. All right, getting close to the end here. So question 15, uh, what are some small details in Starfield to add to the immersion? So Will says he looks closely at all of our outfits. Um, you can see seams, materials, especially on spacesuits. Uh, Constellation members have patches on their spacesuits. I think we've all seen those. And they're tied to what skills they have. And he also loves buttons, all buttons. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I can't wait to see all the different outfits. Um, that's one thing that I really like about Fallout 76. Um, just seeing all the different outfits that people wear, and I walk up and I'm like, ooh, where did you get that? Can I, do you have a plan for that? I'd love to be able to wear that sometime. Um, I mean, I, I normally walk around in my, uh, my like kind of my iconic outfit in, Xbox at least is the Ranger, the NCR Ranger outfit, and then I wear an Enclave beret and sunglasses. But uh, with PC, I've got the rose suit because you know I'm a lover, not a fighter. You know, right, whatever. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, just uh, like in, around Halloween, I've got this this like Skull Lord like Blood Eagle outfit that looks really intimidating. Um, the Ogwa outfit is uh, really cool. Um, you know, of course, everybody's got their iconic outfits. Um, we all know um, some of the people in the community just by their outfits that they wear. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing all the different outfits in Starfield. Um, I mean, yeah, how much can you customize a spacesuit? I guess we'll find out. But um, anyway, Emil says that he thinks that um, one thing that he really loves is that although humans are living in space, their aesthetic is very much NASA punk. So it's a very uh, lived-in universe, and you can see it everywhere. So definitely, um, he also um, says something about the, the sandwiches. He's like, everybody loves the sandwiches, but it's the books lying around, the notes on the bulletin boards, the environmental storytelling that our level designers and world artists are so good at, for sure. Environmental storytelling is amazing. Especially, like, you look around, like, Fallout. Um, just seeing some of the, the way, some of the ways that, like, the, the dead bodies, like the skeletons and um, other things are set up, you just, you have to wonder about the story what the, with what led up to that. Um, so, like, you'll, you'll go into a house, 
and you'll see a couple of skeletons, for lack of a better phrase, spooning um, in bed. And you just, you have to wonder what was the conversation leading up to that? Or, you know, you, you go, like, there's that school building right outside the vault. And you see a bunch of smaller skeletons in a jail cell, essentially. Like, number one, why does a school have a jail cell? But number two, you have to wonder, leading, like, they, they, somebody had to herd all of those kids into that jail cell in all actuality, probably because they thought they were protecting them from the outside when the bombs were dropping. And there, there's this story in Skyrim that I kind of always tell. Um, Bethesda loves having you explore. That's part of what, they, what they're great at, is they want you to go out and explore and find these stories that aren't part of a specific quest that you wouldn't find otherwise. Um, there's, I want to say it's a lighthouse. It's not, um, like I said, it's not part of a, a storyline. You have to go and look for it. I don't remember exactly where it is. But you walk into this lighthouse and there's dead bodies. Um, and you, you kind of have to get the story from journal entries. Um, it was a family who moved into this house. And it was the dad's dream to always live by the sea. By the sea, don't you love the weather? Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, I, I, I won't uh, assault your ears like that again for a while. Um, but it, it was dad's dream to live by the sea. So they get this house and the kids loathed it from what I remember. Um, so it's somebody keeping journals and one by one, people, like family members are disappearing. They're not sure what's going on. And it turns out that the, the house was built on, I can't remember if it was a falmer nest or if it was a chorus nest or a spider's nest or something like that. But something was coming in the night and taking members of the family and killing them. Uh, but that's just, again, that's not something that you would know. I mean, I don't even know how many other people have uh, come across that. That's the type of world that this company makes. It, it, it like they said, it feels lived in. Like, you, these people have their, like, very real lives in this fictional setting. It's what I love about this company. Anyway, um, but yeah, uh, Emil also mentions uh, he loves the work from their voice actors and the music and the sound effects, the clothes, and uh, he also mentions the buttons because he, he is responding to uh, Will's comment about the buttons. He's like, we do love our buttons. Oh, and I do want to mention this. If you haven't heard about it, Adam Savage and the team are building and filming a model of their frontier ship. And uh, yes, there is a, they've posted the link to the YouTube video. Adam Savage is from Mythbusters and he built the Starfield ship, the iconic Starfield ship. Very cool. Um, I can include a link to that in the show notes. So, but yeah, the, the books also, they, they give a very, um, good look at the world. I, I love reading the in-game books, and I definitely will be doing that with this game as well. Um, Alright, so the last question is about the mechs. What's the history of the mechs? And Emil says, um, 
They showed a bit in one of the animated shorts, uh, but the mechs are leftovers from the Colony Wars. Um, note, it's not, it's Colony War, not Colony Wars, even though he typed out Colony Wars, um, singular. Both sides, the United Colonies and the Free Star Collective had mechs, but the Free Star Collective really mastered them. The United Colonies had mechs too, but they relied more on controlled alien beasts from their Xenoware, uh, Warfare Division. Um, both of them were outlawed, and um, he's saying that he's like, I'm not saying that there's an old mech battleground in the game. He's typing it, so I'll be on the lookout for that. Um, but yeah, that that are, those are the questions. Um, hopefully, I didn't uh, belabor this too long, uh, giving my own take on all this. But again, that's kind of why you guys are here, right? Um, it doesn't sound like we can. There are real mechs that we can use, um, but who knows? Maybe I'm misreading this. Anyway, this just got me all the more hyped for this game. I can't fucking wait for this game. Um, and we don't have to wait for much longer. Um, which is why, I, like I said, I'm okay with not getting a review code. Um, I don't... I'm, a, I can, I'm not always the most patient person. But in this case, I can be. Uh, and I'm okay with being patient. So... Yeah, uh, that leads me to my top three things that I'm I hope are included uh, at some point, if not with the release of the game, but if not down the line, um, I'll kind of echo with what Kelsey says about land vehicles, um, or I guess not really an echo because technically I'm saying it first. So land vehicles, these planets. I'm not saying it has to be like the Mako from Mass Effect, but something. Um, unless there's a way to speed up the jetpack, make it to where you can zip across the planets really quickly. Because I'm expecting at least some of these planets, like the main planets that you visit, to be very big. Um, some of Mass Effect's planets are, of course, very small. But if you don't have that land vehicle, it could take a while. And yeah, you don't really have a jetpack in the, the trilogy. You do kind of have one in uh, Andromeda. So I don't know, but even in, in Andromeda, you have a land vehicle. So, I mean, unless these planets are smaller than I'm thinking that they are, we'll need something. The, the jetpack just won't be enough. Um, number two, either live aliens or proof of alien life, um, either one. So, we've seen animals, but I'm talking more like sentient life. And who knows, maybe some of these are. I mean, um, dragons are sentient, even though they're more beasts in the Elder Scrolls world. But um, I just did an episode of Tamriel Adventures on dragons. Um, check that out if you're interested. Uh, it's all good. So... And if we don't, they haven't come out and said alien life. Um, I mentioned in the Tamriel Adventures episode that I just posted, um, one of the questions that somebody in the ASA podcasting community asked in anticipation of this Q&A was about aliens, and they didn't answer it. And instead they asked about, or they answered a question about whether or not time continues in the game when the system's not on. Um, so maybe that's something that they're holding close to the vest. But if we don't see live sentient alien life, 
live life. Yeah, that's redundant. Um, I hope that there's some sort of mystery. Like we'll we'll come across um, remains of aliens that maybe we can solve a mystery as to what exactly happened to them and why they aren't around anymore if they're not. Something like that. I, I really hope that this is included somehow. Because, I mean, I, I, I don't... I'm not one to say, oh, the truth is out there. But with as big as the universe is, are we really so arrogant to think that there isn't at least the possibility of some other life out there. Yeah, just, I don't know, that's my take. And with number three, I think this kind of goes along with something Kelsey said as well, or will say, that um, I, I do hope that we can control the flight in some way. I, I Like with, no, maybe not specifically with No Man's Sky, but... Um, not just a, a takeoff and a landing, you know, you, oh, you're at your destination, ooh, ah. I mean, I, I, they've shown that there's space battles. And I, I hope that we can control the flight, at least for a little, give us the option. Maybe, you know, yeah, flying however far in space can be tedious. So at least give us the option to either have autopilot or actually control the, the, the ship. Um... Yeah, I think that that's really about it. This is going to be a really long episode, but then again, we haven't done an episode in a bit, so hopefully this will hold y'all over um, until the release. But um, there's other things that I'd like to see as well. I'd like to see a little bit more with uh, settlement building or the outposts um, and the ships. They've said that that's late game, and I guess that kind of makes sense because you have to gather materials to be able to build some of this stuff, but I hope that outposts are detailed. I, I don't, I've heard that they're just modules. I really hope that that's not the case and that we can uh, put some details into this building. I mean, they, they've seen all the things that we've done with Fallout 76, um, all of the creative camps that people have made. It's, it's insane. Um, I, I said this on the last episode of Tapes from the Waste, but a lot of these things, I can't even like think something up that, that that's that creative, let alone um, go to the links to build some of the these crazy detailed camps and creative camps that people have made. I hope that they can incorporate that into Starfield. Um, it, it'd be kind of a crime if, if like the outposts were just these little you know generic modules oh here's your kitchen here's your living room here's your bedroom come on give us give us a little bit more than that um same with ships and they've said that ships are um late game as well but i really think that it could be something like automatron to where you go through and you you loot a ship that you've had a, a battle with and then you'll get a part that you can incorporate into your own fleet. Um, I don't know. That, that's just kind of what I'm hoping for, um, or my idea for what it could be. But you know what? We'll find out here in a couple weeks. So I'm going to turn this over to Kelsey, and I'll be back at the end to wrap everything up.
Hello, weary travellers. It is I, KDB, also a weary traveller. I'm recording this on a Friday after a long week at work. Mission log, I am tired. And weather report, it is the third wettest summer on record here in the UK. So that's good. Yeah, we. I just read earlier that we are due half a month's worth of rainfall in a single day today. Uh, it is the 18th of August. We're deep into summer and honestly, it feels like October. So... Yeah, that's good. Summer has been not very summery. Um, if you hear me on my other shows, you know that I love to check in about the weather. Love to give a, give a weather report. The weather here in the UK is news, so I will continue to keep you all posted on that. Anyway, Starfield, Starfield Sandwich. We're here with episode three. I know it's been a little while since episode two. You know, those first two episodes were very much just us getting started and laying the groundwork for you know the lead up to the game for when the game finally arrives when, when we can really really get into things so yeah i hope you've enjoyed the first two episodes if you haven't heard them yet go and listen hear our thoughts hear our hype get hyped with us but now here we are we're almost there it's two weeks away from early access as i record this uh, i will be playing on friday september the 1st so yeah with uh, game pass you can do the thing where you can you can just pay i think it's like 30 quid you pay and then you get the early access instead of paying a hundred where you you buy the whole game so yeah so i'll be doing that i hope you'll be joining us as well um as of yesterday all the i've seen that all the reviewers and content creators that i follow they've all confirmed that they now have the game and they're all playing it and they're reviewing it <laughs> and i gotta be honest like this stuff doesn't usually ever bother me like um so i have a pal um sai from the first aid spray podcast sai she also works for what culture and yeah she i, I get i can say this yeah because uh yeah she already confirmed it herself but Sai got a Resident Evil 4 remake early. I think was playing it like two weeks early. And yeah, I knew that. <laughs> and I was just really excited and happy and happy for Sai. It felt like, yeah, you completely deserve this. That's awesome. I can't wait to play the game. So that's one scenario. And then now here I am in another scenario with Starfield. <laughs> and I see everyone playing it. And I'm not happy. I am jealous. I'm stamping my feet. I'm green with envy. Pretty much all of my trusted and loved content creators that I follow and trust their opinions, they're all playing this game. And I know it's only two weeks away, but I really, I really want to be playing it. And it's kind of like the first time in my life I've been genuine, genuinely affected <laughs> by the fact that I don't have the game this is some of the biggest FOMO that I've ever had um yeah I mentioned it before on the previous episodes I feel like this is the type of game I've been waiting my entire life to play which sounds I know that sounds ridiculous I know it does it sounds hyperbolic but no sci-fi is my thing and 
there's a few points in my life where gaming kind of changed things for me. One of them was Resident Evil, where it really, you know, Resident Evil was very much like a, a quite like a, more like playing a movie. I, I don't want, you know, that's maybe a bad way to put it, but Resident Evil, those original Resident Evils took me from thinking that video games are just toys that I played with to, no, no, this is like the movies I love and I'm playing the movie and I'm so immersed and I'm so terrified and that's what I loved about it. Then, honestly, it wasn't until Oblivion um, where gaming changed again for me um, because, you know, I had Resident Evil and Metal Gear Solid did like the movie thing as well and I was like, yeah, these are like the movies that I love. I'm playing the movies. But then when I first played Oblivion... I was like, this isn't, this isn't a toy, this isn't a movie, this is, this is another life, this is, I'm literally transported to another world, and I'm playing in this other world as me, as this character that I've created, as me, you know, and you know, I'd never really, I know there was, I guess there were RPGs, of course there were, there were RPGs before that, but I'd never really played them, you know, and, you know, I only had so many video games. I didn't have loads of money and stuff. But, yeah, Oblivion changed things again for me. And then Gears of War changed things for, like, the shooter genre and kind of combined shooters and uh, the movie side of things again. So, yeah, and so since Oblivion, I've been in love with Bethesda. And then Fallout, I mean, Fallout 3 just did it again. Like, you know, I, I, I love Oblivion. I really do. I, I prefer Fallout 3. Like, that's my, Fallout 3 is one of my favorite games of all time um because oblivion is the fantasy fallout 3 is the sci-fi and the sci-fi is my thing so you know here we are years later all the years of love for bethesda and stuff and the things that they do through all their quirkiness as well you know some people look at bethesda games and think they're just kind of weird and i get that because they are a bit weird and you know in places they're not perfect but there's something about the magic of those Bethesda games. So now, yeah, we're a couple of weeks out. I feel like I've been waiting for this game my entire life. And I know that there's loads of people already playing it. <laughs> so I'm just kind of sat here stewing, waiting for the 1st of September. Um, yeah. So it's an, and I've got like a lot of stuff on at work at the moment. And I have stuff on after the game releases. I have a really busy kind of schedule at the moment i do have um some days off to play the game <laughs> yeah it's a game that i'm taking time off work to play so yeah i just i cannot wait so anyway yeah um with that in mind reviewers are so what what i will say so i know i'm rambling a bit so today i'm going to talk about that there's been some news in the starfield um world i'm sure eric has touched on it and been through stuff we had the um uh the law timeline from bethesda and a couple of de and some devs completed a q a where they revealed more information about the game um and as i say i think eric may have gone through that or, or given his thoughts i'm going to pick out a couple of specific bits from that and give my thoughts on it uh but yeah before i get there so as i mentioned reviewers are playing the game and i just wanted to give some thoughts quickly about you know what Okay, so the review, the scoring for this game. What does this mean? What do I think about it? So I think whether I love the game or not, um, 
I think this game has to be a ratings high. It, it, it has to rate high for Bethesda and Xbox. I think it has to, to maintain, I guess, I don't want to say trust in the companies. Yeah, it's kind of hard to put into words. Um, I don't think, you know, if the, if this game comes out and it's a 85, you know, 85, that's an incredible score. I don't think that's going to matter to a lot of people. Um, yeah, if, if the game comes out and it scores kind of, not badly, if it just scores averagely, I don't think it's going to be the end of Bethesda and the end of Xbox or anything like that. Um Certainly not with the Activision acquisition that they've got now. They've got plenty of stuff to come and plenty of offering. But yeah, it just feels like so much has been riding on this after a lot of bad press, a lot of, don't want to say bad games, uh, mishandled launches and stuff like that. Xbox already feels like its back is up against the wall. Um, and... Me as an Xbox investor, as a fan, as an Xbox player, I'm not a fan of console wars. I've said before that, like, you know, I'm like a consumer warrior, not a console warrior. I think if this game doesn't have scores that they can plaster on posters and digital artwork and, and billboards or whatever, yeah, it's going to be a hit. It's going to be, it's going to take a hit for Xbox. Um, so I think whether I like it or not, for Xbox and Bethesda's sake, it has to score high. It has to score high to, yeah, maintain trust and, yeah, I guess longevity in the stuff that Bethesda's going to put out and the magnitude of things they're going to put out. I, d I think they'll continue to put out games, but will they ever put out anything as big as this in future if it's not a, not a hit? I don't know. I'm just one person. There's obviously like a thousand different logistical things and million things to look at i'm just kind of speaking from the heart but i feel like most people think if this game doesn't score in the 90s despite whether it's a good game or not what that score you know these metacritic scores these review scores these days sadly for a lot of people it's all that matters and it shouldn't be that way we know that meta systems you know meta scoring systems they're kind of broken and they don't really necessarily paint an accurate picture especially with things like review bombing and yeah maybe we need a better way to aggregate scores or something. I, I don't know it's a million things to think about but yeah if this game doesn't score in the 90s there's going to be some raised eyebrows and it's not fair it's really not fair I don't you know I don't agree with it I don't agree that it should be that way I, I know that it's that's kind of like a broken system but I think so many eyes are gonna be on the scores for this game there's been a lot of games that have come out this year where no one has been sat in anticipation waiting for the review scores there's been a lot of good surprises of games that have come out and reviewed really well and yeah that's awesome but I can't think of another game where people have been literally sat on the edge of their seats waiting to see what this reviews as because there's some people out there that aren't even really interested in the game because they can't play it. There's, you know, people with just a PS5, for example, or PS4. They're not going to be able to play this game. All they're going to be interested in is looking at what score it gets and what can they say about it. 
So yeah, I really, really hope it scores high. I feel like, I feel if I had to place a bet, I think the confidence in this game with the direct that we saw, you know, however many months ago that was, a couple of months ago now, uh, maybe a bit more. The fact that this has gone out to reviewers with two weeks to go, you know, two weeks ahead of release date, um, that's good. That shows confidence in the game as well. Um, so I feel like it's going to be strong. I do feel like it's going to be high. If I had to place my bets, I think we would be looking at, I do think we're going to be looking at nines. I'd love to see tens across the board, you know, but I think we're going to be looking at four out of fives, nine out of tens, a 90, 89, 90 score on Metacritic. I think it's going to be solid. I think too much has gone into this game for it to not be solid. I think there's going to be too much on offer. There's going to be plenty for reviewers to enjoy. So unless the game doesn't function or something like that, which to be honest, when we have like these broke, when games launch kind of broken and buggy and stuff, that never seems to really factor into the review scores and it should, it absolutely should. But didn't, what's the Star Wars game? Jedi Survivor. Didn't that review like incredibly well, but yet everyone who was playing it was like, yeah, but it doesn't work. <laughs> so, and it was kind of the same with Cyber, it was with Cyberpunk as well. Loads of people reviewed it and said, yeah, it's like a 10 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10 or whatever. And then it just didn't work. So yeah, it feels like, there's lots of times where the technical stuff is ignored and should we be doing that? I've seen some people say, yeah, but it doesn't take away from the core of the game. I mean, sure, you can have that conversation and you can say, "I this is a good game despite frame rate issues, despite a few bugs here. And all games, you know, generally are going to have a few bugs here and there. Bugs are fine. It doesn't destroy the experience completely. But I do think it's a consideration. You know, you don't go to the cinema to watch a movie and if the sound goes out of sync for a few seconds or the audio pops or mutes or one of the special effects isn't finished the reviewers don't go oh yeah yeah but the the fact I could still see the green screen and the fact the sound went out of sync here it doesn't matter this is still a 10 out of 10 like no <laughs> that's <laughs> the the technical aspect is part of the experience and with video games more so than anything else so yeah, I think it should be considered in score in scores and reviews. I think Bethesda do things with games that other people don't do. So inevitably, they're going to have bugs that other people don't have because they just don't, they don't do as much as Bethesda. Um, Todd Howard has, I watched an interview with him where he said his kind of, his ethos is to swing for the fences. And that's what Bethesda do all the time. And evidently, when you're swinging for the fences, you're going to strike out a little bit. Um, you're going to have some bugs. So I'm fully expecting bugs. I was just playing Fallout 76 yesterday or the day before. I got a couple of bugs while I was playing it. But for me, like, I'm just kind of not numb to this, but I wouldn't tell someone that it's, oh yeah, the game runs perfectly, like, you know, technically it's like masterful because it's not. But I would then say, but that doesn't mean the game isn't enjoyable because it is. But I would say, oh, if you're worried about you know, enemies popping in and out or maybe dragging across or the legs not moving sometimes, which is what happens. If that's going to make you, if that's going to ruin your experience, then yeah, you might not want to play this game. But anyway, yeah, we could talk about it all day. We could do a whole episode on this this stuff, but I'm going to move on. 
I'm going to get to my thoughts on some of the news. Um, before I do that, <laughs> there is another thing I just wanted to quickly touch on. This is something that's been on my mind in light of the release of another huge game recently. And I guess this is kind of connected to, whole, to the whole idea of review scores and game quality and stuff. So, uh, and that game is Baldur's Gate. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3, to be specific. I'm sure, unless you're living under a rock, you will have seen. It's come out. It's done incredibly well. Great review scores. Everyone says they love it. It's delivering everything they want for an RPG and stuff like that. Yeah, huge, huge love and praise. And it looks awesome. I would love to play it. There's currently no Xbox release date. Uh, it is coming at some point. I know they're having technical issues with the Series S and getting split screen to work on the Series S. Um, as far as I'm concerned, can that on the Series S. I, I, it's kind of wild to me that Xbox would stick to their guns with something like this. The rules can change, I think. If, the, if this is the reason, and I think it is, it's what the devs have said, they're having trouble making the split screen work on Series S. Get that mode off of Series S. I'm sorry if you've got a Series S. Sorry, it's just single player. Like, deal with it. You've got the cheaper console. And I think just forcing all the Series X owners um, to not have access to the game because of the budget console is... I think that's a mistake, to be honest. I do think that's a mistake. And... This is not the first time this has happened. Halo Infinite scrapped its split-screen couch co-op. So what are we doing here? Are we set for this to happen more times? You know, what's Starfield not got because it has to run on the Series S? You know, maybe that frame rate mode, which I don't mind. I, I'm perfectly happy with 30 frames. I'm a movie guy. I love it. Some people are very upset. If it wasn't on Series S or if it didn't have to have that parity with Series S, would the Series X have a 60 FPS mode? Who knows? So yeah, anyway, everyone's loving Baldur's Gate. Um, I would love to play it. I can't. I will play it eventually when it comes out. But there's also been some very spicy takes out there, um, particularly with the narrative that games like Starfield have really got their work cut out for them because apparently Baldur's Gate is so good and it's the true RPG that Starfield should be taking notes and Starfield can't possibly match up to this blah 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 uh in short i hate this shit i mean i really do i think uh comparison is the thief of joy at the best of times but i think here comparing boulders gate with starfield is a pointless exercise they share a few things in common uh but for the most part they're astronomically different games i think genre alone is enough to set them apart one is fancy one is sci-fi you know, it can be fun to say what you enjoy more personally about these games. And, you know, I've said earlier already in my rambling here that I love sci-fi and prefer sci-fi. But they're quite clearly very different experiences. One is turn-based, you know, one is like third-person action. Um, so they share, you know, they do share a few things, but they've got lots of things that are completely different. Excuse me, by the way, I am uh, I'm developing another cold, which is like, you know, that's my signature these days. Um so yeah they they obviously they both have story and dialogue choices and there's a character that you built but I don't think that's enough to say they are competitors I suppose is the word really I mean like from a business perspective perspective of course they're you know 
everyone's competing with everyone everyone wants your time but plenty of gamers me included play multiple games or play everything or play loads of different things so i'm sure lots of people will play both just the same as lots of people will play uh neither so yeah i think there's plenty of room out there for both games to deliver a gameplay experience that pushes forward the gaming industry and doesn't shut the other down you know this is not the first time we've heard this kind of talking point as well we also heard it when uh, elden ring came out and this is back when I think Starfield was due to come out last year. So Elden Ring came out and everyone was like, whoa, you know, Starfield back to the drawing board. Elden Ring has completely, you know, changed open world gaming. This is what it should be. This is no hand holding, no map markers and all this kind of stuff. And it's it's just it's just nonsense. They're different experiences that. The combat in Elden Ring is different, you know, just what you're supposed to do, the way the story is told is different. So, yeah, I love Elden Ring. I love Bethesda games. You know, I love fantasy. I love sci-fi. For me, I love loads of it. You know, this stuff I don't enjoy, of course, but everybody is always wanting to compare and point and kind of raise eyebrows. And, yeah, it's just so tiring. There is too many games out there to worry about like that yeah it's like people think that we're going to run out of stuff to do and play and it's just like no it's not going to happen it doesn't matter if you prefer playing one or the other great there's so much choice and you know that's a good time to be living in for gamers you know this has been a just 2023 alone has been a huge year for gaming but yeah so looking forward to playing Baldur's Gate 3 eventually when it comes out comparing it Starfield is stupid anyway so starfield itself here we are a couple of weeks away marketing has been subtle um and that's a kind of whole conversation in itself does a game coming to game pass need a lot of marketing has the legwork already been done with the you know the the the, uh, starfield direct and the things they're putting out online word of mouth and stuff like that um i'm going to mention elden ring again it's funny because so so something Bethesda usually does do is TV commercials. I haven't done any research here, but I can't remember when they usually put them on air, whether it's like the, I, th- I think it's usually really close to release. It's like the week of, or literally like days before, sometimes after the game has come out because yeah, it's, it's, I think because TV commercials are so expensive and ad space is expensive. They want to maximum they basically want to make sure it's fresh in your mind and you can essentially just go buy it straight away um so but yeah i'm gonna mention elden ring because i remember when like i didn't see any kind of big marketing for elden ring outside of people i know that love the dark souls games saying they can't wait i remember seeing a few articles online saying that it's coming blah 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 i was like oh yeah not i don't really play dark souls but sure looks great whatever hope people enjoy it um there's a lot of gatekeeping around dark souls as well like oh yeah you got to get good or you can't play these games they're the hardest games ever made uh they're not the hardest games ever made but um yeah <laughs> that's a conversation for another day um yeah but what happened was i guess like two days before elden ring came out i saw a tv commercial for it i saw a tv advert and it captivated me i think the way it was just kind of shoved in front of me and the way the TV advert was presented, it convinced me there on the spot. It said, I think in the advert as well, 
you know, from the minds of Miyazaki and George R. R. Martin, you know, however, how much the involvement he had obviously is up for discussion, but he was there in the marketing and uh, I like George R. R. Martin. I thought Game of Thrones was mostly good. And it, I was like, wow, yeah, this actually looks really good. Maybe I'm going to have to pick it up. And I did. And I loved Elden Ring. It's awesome. Um, I remember the TV ad for Fallout 4 with the Wanderer playing that. I mean, I was already, I didn't need any convincing. I was already buying Fallout 4, but seeing that TV ad, you know, it had the, the Mr. Handy and stuff cutting the hedge. Seeing that TV ad, I was just like, wow, I cannot wait. I'm so excited. It really just injected fresh hype into me for Fallout 4. Um... Yeah, so TV ads work. There's been nothing for Starfield yet. There's been no, um, uh, there's been no posters on bus stops. There's been no billboards. So, do we have any of that coming? Do they need to do it? I mean, I do worry about the average consumer in the street, us hardcore gamers, which I presume you are if you're listening to this. We know about these games. We generally know when they're coming out because it's it's the bubble that we live in. But if you go and ask random person in the street oh what video game are you looking forward to what they're gonna say i don't know what's coming out call of duty (laughs) like it's just what are the games that are in the mind you know of the public the global zeitgeist and all that kind of stuff i think some billboard you know billboards are everywhere i do think billboards still work there's you know some advertising is dead and you could say tv advertising maybe is dying off because now everyone just watches stuff through the internet um i i can't tell you the last time I watched um the last time I watched uh network you know broadcast television that wasn't a football game and the football game I was watching was on a channel that doesn't have tv adverts (laughs) so I also have youtube premium so I don't get adverts on youtube so getting an advert getting a tv commercial or something in front of me is very difficult Uh, my wife on the other hand she sees TV adverts a lot. I know other people that watch TV, like one of my brothers, like watches loads of TV. He will see TV ads. Loads of random people on the street out there still watch TV, still listen to the radio. And lots of us are often out in the streets walking. We walk past billboards. We drive past billboards. Just in my town alone, there's like 10 billboards, you know. There's obviously bus stops every 100 yards or whatever it is. I think big posters, billboards and bus stops are still still an effective uh, marketing tool. I do wonder if, as I said earlier, Bethesda are waiting for the scores and the reviews because I think a big billboard for Starfield could look awesome. Do you know what would make it look a lot awesome? Loads of stars. <laughs> on the billboard for starfield and i'm talking review stars one two three four five one two three four five one two three four five you know 99 percent, 95 percent. i think that's what they're waiting for i think their finger is on the button and they are and you know their embargo is up um so the 31st of august the game technically doesn't release until the 6th of september so it's a week before Early access is the 1st of September. People who are going to play early access don't need to be marketed to. We're already going to do it. Anyone out there who's umming and ahhing, Bethesda are going to wait for those review scores, commission those billboards and possibly a TV advert that weekend. 
bang, everything's out there. The following week, it's in place. They've probably got the space booked already and it's just kind of on standby. They might give it away or cut their losses. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think we will see a flurry of marketing as soon as those review scores drop. Uh, I'd love to see some sooner. I'm very intrigued as to what a TV ad for Starfield would look like. Hopefully it's something a bit more than the trailer. Maybe they've got you know something up their sleeve for that. A bit like the Fallout ones. <clears throat> Excuse my voice, my trembling voice. This cold is getting to me. Um, yeah, so anyway. So yeah, so I'm sure marketing's coming soon. Obviously we had those three animated shorts that came out as well. But there has been other subtle stuff, and this is the news I suppose we're going to talk about today. Uh, as I mentioned, Eric has probably been through it. I just wanted to highlight some stuff myself. Um, we have the the Bethesda uploaded the story so far to their website, which is effectively a law, like a canon timeline, uh, which starts, if you go to their website, you scroll down and have a look, it starts in the year 2050 and ends up in the year 2330, and it gives you like a play-by-play -play of what happens in the universe of Starfield during that time to set the scene, you know, set the scene of a couple of hundred years, which is cool, or 300 years. And it starts, yeah, 2050, humans first arrive on Mars. By 2100, humans are living in space. Uh, 2156, humans arrive in Alpha Centauri, 4.37 light years away. So, yeah, it took us, it took us, <laughs> it took the characters in Starfield, see, I'm already putting myself in the world. Uh, over a hundred years once we got to Mars, still another hundred years before we started traveling, you know, really far across space. And then, yeah, I'm not going to read it all. This There's some awesome stuff in here. It gets all the way to, to 2328, and then you scroll down, 2330 AD, Starfield begins. Now, as good as this is, what I will say is I usually don't, bother with this kind of stuff before I've played a game like with games and movies I'm not necessarily a big fan of homework um you know of, of extracurricular reading that you need to do to understand what's going on now I'm not saying that's what this is this may just be absolutely superfluous and it's just like yeah if you want some more information and expanded law here it is and I, I think that is what it is I don't think that, that no point does it say you have to read this to understand what's going on in the game so that's cool and that's fine I usually don't bother with it um I uh I, I watched a video of someone kind of going through this and talking about it um instead of reading it myself and because, yeah, what I, what I would usually do is just kind of rather experience it for myself in the game and then decide if I feel it's worth my time doing that extracurricular reading. And it's definitely stuff I've done with certain games. Not very often. I usually stay very self-contained in the world. And I will read books and stuff, you know, like I think about Gears of War and Resident Evil. They have some novels and a lot of games do. I will read them and that's cool, but... Yeah, I, I don't want to have to read stuff to uh, make sure I'm understanding what's going on in the game. And as I say, I don't think that's what it is, but it is cool. It's very cool to see, you know, Bethesda are famous for this. You know, there's books in Skyrim, Terminals in Fallout and all this kind of stuff. Books in Oblivion that have entire histories of the, the worlds. I think you can even buy like... <clears throat> 
like the st- the books that are Sky- in Skyrim, I think you can buy real books of them where it's it kind of collates all of those stories together and the histories and stuff, which I think is awesome. So yeah, for super fans, and if you really love it, it's awesome. Go and check it out. If you've, you know, you want to get some backstory, it's cool that Bethesda are putting this out there. You know, they're taking this very, very seriously. Um, so yeah, I, d- I did watch a summary video. I haven't read through everything myself. I may come back through and read it. We may study this kind of stuff in future for a future episode of the podcast as well. Um, and then also we had the Q&A, which just happened this week. Um, I didn't f- follow it live and I haven't read the whole thing. Again, purely because I'm just, I don't necessarily want to be spoilt but for the purposes of this podcast I did look at a summary of the Q&A to just try and get I guess to see if there was anything super important and I don't think there was any real story spoilers or anything like that but there was a few things that uh, stood out to me and this this summary is taken from Paul Tassie's article on Forbes Um, and yeah so there was a whole whole load of questions it's really long but um there was a few that I picked out from this summary here which really stuck out to me which I just wanted to highlight and give some thoughts on Uh, the first one here is how deep should we go into creating characters backstory before we start the game and the devs answered it's mostly about headcanon they say there is a trait and background system but you do not have to use it at all now again this is what I like I think this is kind of connected to what I just said I don't necessarily like being forced to do extra work Um, I've said a million times my gaming time is limited I'd rather I like having freedom I like filling in gaps myself I like doing kind of what I want I don't want to have to sit and write a whole story for my character you know like you do in something like D&D it's just like yeah I'm happy to just get going I want to experience the world I want to be it's as if a flick has been switched and I've woken up one day and I'm now in this new world and I've got to figure things out for myself. That is far more interesting to me. So I like the idea that a lot of it is headcanon, um, which makes it difficult for some, you know, law diving and connecting the dots because, you know, you make up a lot of stuff as you go. Uh, so this is funny and I'm just going to quickly, I just need to Google something as I'm doing this. Right. So this says, will there be a jail system if we commit crimes? And it's their answer was, yes, it's like Skyrim or Fallout 4. You go to jail or pay a fine or you can, you know, try and evade the law. Um, I don't ever remember going to jail in Fallout 4. Does that happen? I don't want to make myself sound like a fake Fallout fan here, but have I just been playing Fallout 4 um too nicely forever like i don't really terrorize people that don't need to be terrorized i don't really commit crimes can you go to jail in fallout 4 because this is news to me (laughs) and now i kind of want to see it and i'm gonna and i i quickly googled can you go to jail in fallout 4 and i can't see anything crime and punishment incarceration no this is a this is a mod (laughs) (laughs) there's a mod for going to jail so yeah so yeah that just confused me a little bit um but it sounds like yeah there is jail in starfield so a bit like skyrim and it was it was always frustrating in skyrim i've i've been to jail just to kind of see what happened but usually i would either try and pay i'd just pay my way out of it if you know if i could because 
it's it was a hassle more than anything so yeah uh this one caught my eye what were the what are the beliefs and basic history of the religions we can join sanctum universum enlightened or great serpent excuse me so and the devs said real life religions exist in the game but they don't focus on them only their new ones they detail each of the main ones here house varan zealots are mainly people you fight and they think a great serpent is going to encircle the universe the enlightened are the organized atheists and sanctum universum believes god allowed jump drives to exist so we could go find god in the universe somehow all kind of interesting i think the um uh the great serpent is definitely the most interesting one of that and the enlightened organized atheists sound really boring and Sanctum Universum sounds a bit like Scientology. So, <laughs> yeah, the Great Serpent, that's very mysterious. With the Zealots, yeah, I'm going to definitely be looking more into that one. Hopefully I can join that religion. Um, so, what else do we have here? What books, or, so this, this one caught my eye. What books or movies had a big influence on some of the quests? So, the devs said podcasts, hardcore history and history of Rome, Greek and Norse myths, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Space 999, Buck Rogers, Battle Beyond the Stars, Ice Pirates, Metal Storm, Destruction of Jared Sin, Arthur C. Clarke, Robert Heinlein, Contact, Interstellar, 2001, Invent Horizon, Elite Dangerous, Privateer, Cowboy Bebop and The Expanse. Obviously, I'm a huge movie nerd, movie and TV nerd, movie buff, if I do say so myself. Uh interstellar is on here i watched interstellar in 4k for i saw interstellar in the cinema uh, i've watched it once on blu-ray when it came out and then i've not seen it since i watched the 4k version uh two nights ago and just out of pure kind of uh, i don't know what sprung it on me so we've been going through a lot of our stuff at home um so we got some new space in the attic so i'm sorting through a load of my old shit my books and cds and stuff and i found the interstellar soundtrack on cd and i also found a book i have which is the science of interstellar and i was like oh yeah this is awesome and it made me really want to watch the movie and kind of dive back into some interstellar science and stuff so i watched interstellar incredible in 4k uh, cried like a baby as well and yeah and it's cool to know that interstellar had some influence on starfield in some way i think it's an awesome movie there's loads of awesome stuff they mentioned in there you know in terms of podcasts and movies and stuff but yeah i just wanted to drop that in i'm definitely in interstellar mode it's it's kind of i maybe it's just like a subconscious in sync thing because i know starfield is on the way and i remember watching the movie like yeah it I've definitely had Starfield kind of pop into my mind a couple of times while I was watching the movie. So, all, you know, all the themes are there. Um, and then they also had a question here. What are some of your favorite small details in Starfield to add to the immersion? And they said books and notes lying around, voice acting, music, sound effects, clothes, ship detail and buttons. Yeah. So this is what I'm talking about in terms of adding immersion. Um, it's awesome that we have the story so far and all this extra reading. I'd much rather experience it within the world <clears throat> than go reading a timeline on a website. So that's exciting for me that they said it's some of that adding all those details. That's what we want. You know, reading the term some and reading everything is difficult. Like, I'm not going to lie. I don't read everything I come across. I read what looks interesting to me. You know, I'll read a bit or I'll skim through. If something catches my eye, catches my eye I will read the whole thing um yeah so and it's going to be the same with starfield and i cannot cannot wait um it's 
got all the themes that I love. I'm probably going to be reading more stuff in this game than anything before. So bring it on, is what I say. All those little details, it's, yeah, what I'm going to be wasting a lot of time doing, <laughs> reading it all. And that's it for the Q&A. As I said, they, they asked loads of questions. Do go and check it out if you want to find out more. I'm trying to sort of peripherally, as I say, not spoil myself too much and just kind of experience it in the game. But I did check out some of the summaries there for the purposes of this podcast. Um, I have been rambling on for like 40 minutes. So I just want to wrap up with... Um, and this was a thing Eric and I were going to do an episode that was what top three things do we want in Starfield and we're kind of going to do a whole episode on that so I'm not talking for another hour I'm just going to zip through these and then hand it back to Eric because we are you know it's kind of a last minute wish list two weeks away or less than two weeks when this episode comes out probably and what top three things do I really hope are in Starfield there's loads of things I, I'm glad are already in there. I'm pretty sure there's a photo mode. I'm sure we had confirmation of that. Uh, multiple characters, hopefully, like multiple save slots. So there's a trend with some games coming out where you can only have one save slot, uh, which I don't like. Uh, Nintendo do it a lot, which is annoying. Uh, Bethesda are usually quite good. You can have multiple characters, so I hope that's all there. But what? So three main things. One I have already mentioned on a previous episode, and that is, and this is the top of my list. I, I'm not going to say this is going to ruin my experience. I'll probably get used to it. But I really hope we can remove that XP counter that appears on screen. You know, I know other games have it and stuff. And like, you know, when you complete a quest and stuff and it gives you the chunk of XP, that's awesome. It's kind of unobtrusive. Um, but this the footage we've seen of Starfield seems to show XP counters for every time you're killing something and every time you're doing something um i hope that's not the case and i really hope i can turn it off it i don't get the design aesthetic i'm playing diablo 4 a lot at the moment as well and obviously that has a lot of numbers flashing up on screen i don't mind it in diablo it's kind of it's a different type of experience in a different game i don't want it for my bethesda games um i don't think it's needed it, I mean, it's right in the center of the screen. What is going on with that? And right in the center, I guess, of where your target is. If you want to have it come up, put it off to the side. Put it in the corner. I just, yeah, I don't get that. It's not going to ruin my experience. Just confused. Maybe they can change it at a later date. So yeah, I things do I want in Starfield? I want a button to be able to switch that off <laughs> or move it. Um, and you can move UI in games. They do it all the time. I mentioned Diablo again. You've got your big, your HUD. You can choose to ever have that in the middle or at the side of the screen. I really like that as an option. So yeah, Bethesda. If somebody from Bethesda is listening, I, I mean, I don't. Maybe I'm misunderstanding the footage, and maybe it'll be different when I'm playing the game. But yeah, if it's what I think it is, please add an option to move that. Please, please, please. Uh, speaking of adding options at a later date. I know we've already had confirmation that there's no vehicles in Starfield. I want them. <laughs> Plain and simple, I want them. I think traversing across these planets, I know it's a lot for the consoles and the PCs and stuff to take and to move across these surfaces quickly. It's a lot of technical stuff that's got to go on, so vehicles can make that different. Um, but, you know, if Fallout 76 can add a whole host of NPCs later... I'm pretty sure something 
with the caliber of Starfield can add vehicles, right? Just give me a just just a little buggy, just a little sand buggy, a little dune buggy. I don't need because I think we talked about this. I think the ships. I'm not sure you can fly your ships across the terrain, right? Because it's not like No Man's Sky where you can just jump in your ship and just zoom across the planet. I don't think you can do that in Starfield. Basically, it's you use your ship to take off to go into space and then you're in space and you can fly around, but you can't fly around on the planet, I think. Which is fine, you know, it's fine. But give me a little dune buggy. Give me a little bike or something just to... I don't want to have to... I want to be able to explore... I don't want to have to just use that um, jetpack. The jetpack looks fun, but it, yeah, I feel like, you know, one of the biggest issues I have with um, Tears of the Kingdom is the traversal. You can't, I mean, Link has uh, all his tools that, you know, you can build a, you can build a car, you can build a vehicle with. I mean, that takes a lot of ingenuity and you've got to find materials and stuff like that. It's difficult and takes, uses up energy resources. But yeah, one of the things that takes the longest to do in Tears of the Kingdom is just getting around, just climbing the mountains, moving around from point A to point B. It can really drag sometimes, and I haven't finished that game yet. Uh, it's maybe not as fast-paced as I would like it, like it to be. So you can build vehicles in that if you want. It take, As I said, it takes a lot of effort. Starfield, what are we doing here? You want me to traverse planets? I need more than a jetpack. So yeah. I hope this I know it's not going to be there at launch. I think within the first year, let's have some vehicles please. Let's have, just have a couple of simple vehicles to help us get around. Please Bethesda. I want to do some exploring. I don't want to just have to psh, 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 and just do that. So yeah. Um and I don't want to say maybe they're not as expansive as we think they are then these planets or maybe you can only go so far but you know just it's just kind of an odd decision and again it might be a technical thing. I'm sure it probably is a technical thing. As I said, zooming across the surface is might be an issue, but I don't need to go fast. I just want to go slightly faster than running or jetpacking. Uh, and last but not least, I would like, and this is not in the game, this is just, as me talking about extra reading and stuff like that, this is just something that I want for my shelf. This is an art book. The art and making of Starfield. I think... You know, I've got it for some other games and movies. I've got one for Skyrim. I've got it for Fallout. And yeah, I think this game is begging for it. And I mentioned my wife and I have been doing a lot of sorting through all of our crap at home. Um, yeah, and I, which has meant that I've dug out a lot of my books and I've set some aside on one of our shelves and stuff and picked out some of my favorite ones. And as I was doing that, I was like, man, I would love, love to add a Starfield coffee table book and an art and making of book. Uh, to my shelf right now uh, these things usually don't come out until after the game's released you know because obviously they don't want to spoil the game I really hope one's on the way please I will pay you know they're usually extortionate amounts of money they're usually like 30 quid maybe more I'll pay that for a Starfield book I love that love that for my little reading corner in my living room yeah and that's it. As I said, I'm going to zip through those things. That's the three things I want. Turn off that XP counter. Give me a vehicle and a Starfield art and making of book. And that's it. I'm, ugh, I've am i nearly been going for an hour. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, Eric, as well. Um, thanks so much for listening to me ramble. Um, so excited. I'm sure our next episode will be probably like a first reactions type thing. First reactions to the game after our first week or two with it or first week, first few days, whatever. 
and then after that we're really going to be getting into the weeds so yes thank you for listening to me spout starfield today um come and listen to my other shows come and listen to gears intel if you're into gears of war first aid spray if you're into resident evil and obviously eric and i do tapes from the wastes if you're into fallout and i do two carrots with my buddy lou and we've been on a bit of a mid-season break with that but that's where we talk about gaming and life and lots of other stuff all the links are always in the description all that kind of stuff thank you everyone for listening i'll be back soon until then stay safe out there travelers Thanks, Kelsey, as always, for all that you do, um, not just with this show, but of course, Tapes from the Waste and everything else you've, uh, you're involved in. So, um, <laughs> speaking of which, uh, hopefully we can uh, get together and uh, record that episode of Nintendo here pretty soon. Anyway, uh, that will do it for this episode of the Starfield Sandwich Podcast. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank everybody for... Uh, checking us out, supporting us in this uh, short journey that we've been on so far. And um, definitely check out everything else we're involved in. Uh, Kelsey mentioned Gears Intel, um, First Aid Spray, Two Carrots, uh, of course, Tapes from the Waste with me. Um, I've also got Tamriel Adventures and the aforementioned Nintendo podcast. Uh, we're coming up on Spooky Season. Can't wait to do another Freddy skit. Um, <laughs> a little plug there, I guess. Anyway, um, if you would like to find us on social media, um, I know Kelsey hasn't been using Twitter as much, but his handle is K underscore D underscore B underscore. Um, he's also on Threads, Instagram. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter as well. I'm never going to call it X. Um, I've been really active with my main, like my personal account. It's iangold08. Um, I'm also on Blue Sky, and um, I don't really, I, I have threads. I don't really use it much, but I'm definitely on Instagram. But um, the most active that I'm on of those is are uh, Twitter and Blue Sky. So uh, check me out on there. Um, there's also Discord. I'm always on Discord. And yeah, um, that is it for this episode. So like uh, Kelsey mentioned, the next episode that uh, we do will probably be our initial reactions. So that we're in the final stretch, y'all. It's been a long journey, but we're finally here. So um, definitely, definitely uh, come interact with us on uh, social media. Our um, Twitter handle for the show is StarsandPod. Um, there's also an Instagram page. We're not uh, totally active on there. It's uh, Starfield Sandwich, I believe. Give me one second. Let me double check that. Uh, yes, it's uh, Starfield Sandwich on Instagram. So that is it for this episode. So until next time, stay safe, dear traveler. <laughs>